Today's Old Testament reading comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This can be found on page 3 of your pew Bible. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Today's New Testament reading can be found in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, and it can be found on page 967 in your pew Bibles. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Stay away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you here today. I had the privilege of befriending Jen and Tony in Vancouver when we went to school together. Um, When I arrived, they were in their third or fourth year, and they were two of the first people to welcome me and to make me feel at home in Vancouver. Um, And so it was a privilege last year to welcome them back to Grand Rapids and to hopefully be a part of making them feel at home here in Grand Rapids. And my family and I also had the privilege of being here for Jen and Tony's installation service. And I have a photograph of my daughter leaning over the balcony safely, watching as Jen and Tony, family friends of ours, 
um, were installed here at your church. And it's been a real gift to um, have our children see that women can be pastors. And it's been a real gift to me to have good friends be in this position. So it is a privilege to be here with you today. At my church, Church of the Servant, I am a children's worship leader. And I know that you here at Sherman Street have some of the same children's worship program, pra- programming that we do. And so some of you here know what I'm talking about. One of my favorite things about it is watching the children learn new stories and start to make connections between the stories that we're telling. Often enough, they are daydreaming and making paper airplanes during response time. And yet, there are moments when they take in the stories of God and make connections between these stories and their own lives. And that is, of course, what we are trying to do here this morning. Those are my favorite things about being a children's worship leader. And the children have their own favorite thing. Their favorite thing is the desert box. Does anybody know the desert box? They always call it a sandbox, and I always remind them it is not a sandbox, it is the desert box. And each time we tell a story that takes place in the desert, it starts the same way. The kids try to touch the sand. They reach their hands in, they crowd around me, and they try to get at that sandbox. And so I let them touch the sand just to get that part over with. And then I say to them, all right, sit on your carpet square. Let's begin. And the instructions to me as the leader say, take a minute, sit back, and let the story form within you. And then I begin. This is the desert box, I say. Inside is a small piece of the desert. And as I am saying these words, words that I remember Carol Rhoda saying to me when I was a child in children's worship, I move and I shape the sand, creating hills and valleys, creating dunes. And as we look at the desert box together, we can start to believe that we are really seeing a huge desert from above and that we can be a part of what is happening there. I tell the children, so many important things happened to God's people in the desert, so that we want to have a small piece of it here in our room. The desert is a strange and wild place. At night, it is very cold, but in the day, it is burning hot. There is almost no water at all. The desert is always changing. The wind comes, and as it blows, it shapes and molds. So the desert is never the same. I repeat these words at the beginning of every story that we tell that takes place in the desert. And the children and I get a very real sense that while the desert is a strange and wild place, It is also an important place. God often meets his people 
in the desert. Our story today is a desert box story. So come, let's go with Jesus, the beloved, into the desert. We read that Jesus was led by the Spirit and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. 40. When you hear this number, are there any little bells that go off in your minds? There are a few important numbers in the Bible, and 40 is one of them. 40 days and nights, Noah and his family and some of God's creatures ride out the flood. 40 days and nights, Elijah journeys to Mount Horeb, where he hears the voice of God as a gentle whisper. And then there's the big one. When Israel went out from Egypt, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years in the desert box. As I was preparing for this, I was listening to a theologian named Julie Canlis, and I was reminded that 40 is also a number from our nature. A typical human pregnancy is about 40 weeks long. 40 weeks of pregnancy are often incredibly uncomfortable. There is nausea, and there is hunger, there is exhaustion, and there are growing pains as you stretch to fit this new life. You can be excited about the new life that is coming, but getting through the 40 weeks can be incredibly difficult. In all of these examples, 40 represents a time of discomfort for the purpose of new life. Imagine being stuck on a boat with cows and pigs and dogs and cats, hippopotamuses, rhinoceroses, tarantulas, mice, mosquitoes, all of whom may be seasick. You get the picture, not pleasant. And so too with Jesus. His 40 days were not days of comfort. So why did Jesus fast? What was he doing? What was the point? What is the point of fasting for any of us? Is a fast a mere feat of self-denial or a show of our ability to do without creature comforts? No. The point of fasting is to give something up so that we have space to be open to God. Fasting is a way to strip back, to evaluate the things that we rely on. We say no to something that we often say yes to, something that is very good, so that we can remember that all of the good that we have comes not from ourselves, but from God. And we don't just fast from food. Jane Williams, who is married to Rowan Williams and who is a theologian in her own right, suggests that we typically build ourselves, our identities, on shaky foundations. She says this, we may think that we are what we have achieved, what we look like, what we own, what we do, but all of that can change. Apparently putting us 
at risk, vulnerable to time and tide. If we base our identities on these things and they fail us, what do we have left? Fasting is a way to step back from some of these things in the hopes that we can get more in touch with our true identity as God's beloved, because, of course, that is what we are. A few weeks ago, I believe, you had a sermon here about the baptism of Jesus. At his baptism, Jesus was announced to be the Son of God, the Beloved. And the Spirit of God rends the heavens to come down and to show and to tell how much God loves Jesus. Jane Williams says this, As of yet, in this story, Jesus has done nothing but submit to baptism. And yet already he is beloved and gives pleasure to the Father. All he has achieved is to acknowledge his dependence on God, which is more than many of us, more than many of us will do in a lifetime, and it is vital to everything that is to follow. So fresh from his baptism, Jesus spends 40 days fasting in order to come to terms with what it means that he is God's beloved son. Jesus has some decisions to make, and the tempter knows this. What power will he depend on? What will he do with that power? What sort of Messiah is he going to be? I love the understatement in verse 2 here. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. No kidding. But in this statement and in the temptation that follows, we catch a glimpse of the mystery of what it means for Jesus to be both fully human and fully divine. He was as hungry as you or I would be after going without food. And the idea of having a bit of food one would have been just as tempting to him as it is to us. He was certainly capable of turning the rocks into bread, and the tempter knows this, and he asks him to prove himself. If you are God's son, go ahead, make some bread. Why bother being hungry? He is tempted to use his power for himself, to prove himself to the devil, someone whose opinion is not worth much. But that is the kind of is sorry. But is that the kind of Messiah he is going to be? One who uses power for his own good? No. Jesus relies on God's word. God's word that is still ringing in his ear that he is beloved, that he is enough. And proving himself, doing something useful, doing something relevant, is not what he has been asked to do. He has been asked to be obedient. 
in the second temptation, could there be a better way to start his ministry, to get people to pay attention to him, than to throw himself off of the roof of the temple and land gracefully in the arms of the angels? Jesus is tempted to do something spectacular, to win praise and to kickstart his ministry. But is this the kind of Messiah that he is going to be? No. He, des- he denies himself instant notoriety here. He takes the long and lonely road through death so that he can bring us all with him into new life. And the third temptation, take all of these kingdoms and their splendors for yourself and do it now. The Magi traveled a long way to come and meet a real king, didn't they? Be a king. Worship me, the tempter says, and you will never have to die. You will never have to do the slow, hard work of love. What kind of Messiah would Jesus be? He denies himself power over the kingdoms of the world here in this story so that later, only after he is nailed to the cross with the sign over his head, this is the king of the Jews, and only after conquering death itself through his resurrection, he would finally be enthroned at the right hand of the Father. Jesus' experience in the desert show not only that he met temptation without sin, but more importantly, they show his obedience to his Father and his Father's plan for this place. When Israel was in the desert, they got impatient, and they built and they bowed down to a golden calf. Before Israel, Adam and Eve also failed the test of obedience and dependence on God, and they were cast out into the wilderness. But Jesus, who we call the new Adam, signals the beginning of the new creation showing us that the way back to life goes through the desert, through denial, and through death. In Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Again and again, this story is a story of obedience, of Jesus saying yes to certain things, and of Jesus saying no to other things even to the point of death. Jesus went to the desert and endured a fast so that he could get clear on what it would mean for him to be the Messiah. We are not the Messiah, and so we have different questions to sort out. One is this. What kind of a Messiah are we expecting? What kind of a Messiah are we willing to worship? What kind of a Messiah are we willing to follow? 
John the Baptist seems to be asking some of these questions too. And a few chapters later in Matthew, he has been put into prison and is questioning whether Jesus is actually the prophesied Messiah. He sends his people to go ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Is John disappointed with what he's seen so far? I can't help but hear, is this all you've got, Jesus? And you may know Jesus' answer. He is here to eat and drink with tax collectors and with sinners. He is here to bring life. Tell John this, he says. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus is telling John that he is the one. But the slow way of love and healing looks different than we might have imagined. Honestly, it doesn't look very electable. There's been a lot of talk about electability these days. Who has what it takes to hold the power? Is it someone who will bow down to use his power for himself? Is it someone who will bow down to the temptation to do spectacular things, to get an audience? Is it someone who cannot resist the devil's promise of power? We do well to consider what kind of leaders we will follow. Jesus had decisions to make, and the tempter knows this. We have decisions to make, too, and the tempter knows this. What power will we depend on? What will we do with that power? What sort of Messiah are we going to follow? We, as individuals and as the church, will face temptation in the same ways. We will be tempted to prove ourselves, to prove ourselves to be useful, to be relevant, to be lovable. We will be tempted to do spectacular things in order to win friends and to influence people. And we will be tempted to get power in almost any way we can. We will be tempted. We are tempted. So what do we do? We look to Christ, and we try to walk in the way that he walked. And this is, of course, the journey of Lent, which we're coming to soon. Through obedience and dependence on God, he overcame temptation. He chose not to satisfy his own hunger in the desert so that later in his life, he could bring abundant feasts and abundant life to whores and tax collectors, to you and to me, and so that he could give himself 
to become the bread and the wine that sustains us. He denied himself quick fame so that he could instead be known for healing, for restoring sight, for bringing good news to the poor. He denied himself power over the kingdoms of the world so that he might conquer death itself and bring healing to the nations. Finally, we have to talk about that last verse. Finally, rest. Finally, relief. The tempter departs, and angels minister to Jesus. Hunger is the best sauce, they say. And those meals that Jesus must have had with the angels were sure to have been amazing. Jesus needed their help. Even Jesus needed help. Take that as encouragement as you walk along the road that leads through the desert. Don't go alone. Journey through Lent together with your church, together with your people. And know that God, and know that Jesus walks beside you and that God sends his angels behind you to comfort you. As I've been thinking about these texts, the last lines of the Lord's Prayer have been rolling around in my mind. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, we need your help with that. And then finally, we declare the kingdom is not ours. It is yours, God. The glory is not ours. It is yours. The power is not ours. It is yours. Will you pray with me the words of the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer and pay attention to these last words when we get there? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Amen.